you just need to remember your why and focus on that. And I have really noticed that the people who go into competitions and they just have fun with it, they do so much better because they're not putting as much pressure on themselves. Like, I know it. My best self is better than every single person who's going to walk on that platform that night. Gosh, man, that was... It's a moment to change my life, man. Work harder than everyone else and just keep going. Get up and do it again and again and again. The journey to a better you starts right now. I think a lot of times as weightlifters, we forget that what we're doing outside of the gym is just as important as what we're doing inside of the gym. You can have the best coach, the best programming, the best technique, but if you are not fueling yourself properly, you're probably leaving some kilos on the table. So my guest this week is Megan O'Connor. She is USA Weightlifting's high-performance nutritionist. She also has her own business, Play to Platform, and then she is working on a couple different side projects. I think this is a great spot to start if you don't really know what to do when it comes to nutrition maybe it's your first couple meets and you're really trying to figure out what weight class you should be how to fuel up properly on meet day i think this is a great one for you so i hope you guys learn a lot i really enjoyed this episode and let's shoot it there now piecing together all these things is that difficult or like like would it be easier to have if you had like one kind of full-time job no i actually love the way it's set up um because i've done you know I've, I've been a dietitian for eight and a half years now and so i've done like just complete full-time jobs and i like the fact that every day is a little bit different and i have the flexibility to work with so many different people all the time it, it's nice because like what i do is like there's some consistency where there's enough normalcy where like i don't like i'm not a like worried or like think that you know I don't know what's going to happen each day but also there's enough like variance where it's consistent but always keeps you on my toes and it's always interesting and exciting that's cool what made you get into nutrition in the first place well actually I knew that I wanted to be a sports dietitian when I was 17 years old a junior in high school um I was very lucky with that I had a really great teacher who was like my finance econ actually my homeroom teacher too um and he gave us a project to look into three different jobs that we were really interested in and like look into like what it entailed and how like the steps to get there and all of those things and then choose one of them and present it to the class and uh, being a sports dietitian was one of them and when i really dove into it i thought it was really interesting because Growing up, I was always in sports, watching sports, and then trying to learn what I could do to make myself healthier and be better in those sports, like with nutrition and things like that. So it kind of just was like things that I already was interested in and liked learning about. So I knew that going forward as a sports dietitian, it would be something that I would truly enjoy every day. And I still do. I didn't change my major, and I still love it. You're definitely part of that uh, low percentage, though. I feel like everybody nowadays, it's like you hear people at at least once is like the minimum. I'm curious, what were the other two jobs that you looked into? Um, the One of them was a sports broadcaster, which, you know, kind of makes sense. But then the other one was an actress, which is like kind of off the wall compared to the other two. But I don't know, I thought it would be fun to like, 
be in movies. Like I still think I would love to be in a Marvel movie or a Marvel TV show one day, but I literally have no acting background except for like a play in eighth grade when I played Suey, the main pig in <laughs> and what I don't what is it even called? Um oh the three little pigs. Wow. See, I'm not an actor. <laughs> well, you kind of get to do it with Instagram, I guess, a little bit. Like putting out yeah. content, you're like your your own actress there. Yeah, that's a good point. So yeah, I get to be an actress by filming fun little reels. Nothing about broadcasting anymore? Um, no, you know. I think I would be a little too biased because I have always had my favorite teams growing up. And I think I think to be a broadcaster, I mean, obviously you can tell when someone's a, um, a fan of a certain sport or a team and like they make it known. But I think the best broadcasters kind of keep it more neutral and kind of just kind of focus on talking about the teams that are, at, you know, actually playing and don't try to like have that bias. Yeah, I, I'm a big uh, baseball fan, so playoff baseball is going on. So it's funny, kind of. Be I'm a Phillies fan, so I'm from Pennsylvania, and I mean Phillies fans are crazy. But uh, <laughs> just kind of hearing hearing the um, the Braves. So the Braves had like this. I, mean, I don't know. Do you keep up with baseball at all? Yeah, I actually worked for both the Cubs and the White Sox. I'm going to pretend I didn't know that, but I did stalk you on Instagram, so I did know that. <laughs> and I definitely want to hear about those experiences. But the the Braves hit a huge home run in the eighth inning of game two, and the announcers were so excited. And I was like, they just clearly want the Braves to win. One of them was Jeff Francoeur, so he <laughs> played for the Braves, but he also played for the Phillies too. But it was just funny. I'm like, oh, they're so biased. But uh, yeah, I don't know. You just have, you have to get excited too, so... I'm sure yeah, that's a gotta, tough job. Yeah, you got to actually care about it. So sometimes it is like if you are a fan of the team playing, then yeah, you get excited when they're doing well. But also, I don't know. I, I think I chose the right uh, career as a sports dietitian and not a broadcaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been an interesting trajectory to see how you – because that – who knows? That might be a harder field to get into, that actual broadcast, to be like in the top. If you're doing oh. like the MLB, I could see like there's probably a lot of independent leagues and like different things. Yeah. But do you want to be broadcasting for four people on YouTube or do you want to be doing it like as a big time? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's cool. So so um, you got into it like what was your first job out of college or, or what even is the education like to where are you doing internships or how do you kind of what was your path like? Yeah, so um, to be a dietitian, you go to an accredited school in nutrition and dietetics, and then you have to go to an accredited internship. So you kind of get matched. Like, you know how like med students get matched? Mm -hmm. It's a similar thing with um, dietitians. And when I was going to school, a master's wasn't required, but it will be as of actually next year, I believe. Um, but I still, so the dietetic internship that I was most um, interested in was an MSDI. So your master's of science combined with your dietetic internship. And that's what I was actually matched to. So I got really lucky with that. So how it worked for me was it was three years. So I got my master's and did my internship. So I would have like different rotations in all different areas of nutrition throughout the lifespan. And then, um, I chose the thesis. So I had like a research project that I did and I knew I wanted to be a sports dietitian. So 
all of my like last year and my thesis project was all geared towards sports nutrition. Um, so I would have a little bit of experience just from being in school. And then when I graduated, I was eligible to sit for the board exam to become a registered dietitian. And then my first job out of college was I actually worked uh, PRN for two different, so I'm from the Chicagoland area, from the Northwest suburbs. I worked for two different hospitals um, in the area and I would just go kind of back and forth between them. And then I also was volunteering with Northwestern University with their sports dietitian to learn from her and like that whole department. Um, so I did that for a year. And at that time I was weightlifting. And so like going to the gym and kind of just like, obviously strength training was very interesting to me. So I was like learning what, how nutrition would impact weightlifters or strength athletes in general and started working with people through the gym. So I guess I always started off doing a bunch of things at once. Um, and then after that, that's when I started working for the Chicago Cubs with their AAA affiliate in Des Moines, Iowa, the Iowa Cubs, um, the year that the Cubs won the World Series. So I do have a World Series ring, and that's really cool, uh, especially I grew up a Cubs fan, um, so it was just so exciting. After that, um, I started working for RP, and then I was going to work with the Cubs again the next year, but... That company I mentioned earlier, Gatorade Sports Science Institute, they um, were looking for a dietitian because that was the year that the MLBPA came up with the rule that every team needed at least um, a contracted dietitian to work with them, which is huge for them. Um, so through GSSI, I was working as the dietitian for the Chicago White Sox the next season. And that actually was a turning point for me as a sports fan because I realized that, you know, all these athletes grow up and they're a fan of a certain sport, but then they get into the game and they go where they go and they just kind of start to be a, a fan of whatever team that they work for. So that's how I kind of like switched my, you know, my, my fandom to instead of just being like, I hate everyone that's not the, the team that I like and just being more open minded to like working with different teams teams but anyway so I worked with the Chicago White Sox that season and then when I wasn't with the White Sox um I for GSSI I was still doing things like um sweat testing fluid balance assessment uh, working with different professional and collegiate teams to like work on their recovery um educational things like that and then after that first year with the Sox then things kind of switched gears and I started working with the Charlotte Hornets for two seasons um and then, so I know this is all over the place. So that entire time I was working for GSSI and RP. And then somewhere along the way, I also started working for USA Weightlifting. And, <laughs> and so I kind of just balanced it all, but you know, I got a little tired. So I decided to leave my full-time position with GSSI and then focus on weightlifting because I love weightlifting and working with strength athletes. And like, that's when I formed my private practice. Awesome. Well, the, the, as far as what I've heard before, um, one of the mental skills coach was on a podcast from the Cubs a while, like this was probably 2017, 2018, uh, his name was John Baker. Um, oh. 
but he was saying like the Cubs were really start. I think they were ahead of the curve as far as like yeah. starting to feed the minor league teams organic and like really focus on because it was like the wild west back in the day. Like you're just having what cheeseburgers after the game or you're the clubhouse is ordering 20 pizzas and that's kind of your post game meal. Yeah. Did you start to notice a shift? I'm sure like oh. when, when they, especially when they had a dietitian for every team, I'm sure there was at least somewhat of a shift. Yeah. So you are correct. So the Cubs were the first team to hire a dietitian for every single minor league affiliate. Um, the Dodgers were also kind of doing it at the same time, but the Cubs were the first team to have a dietitian at every single affiliate location. And yeah, everything shifted then because before that, I mean, the clubbies would just kind of take care of the food and nothing against the clubbies, but they had a lot of shit they had to do. So like they weren't really worried about like making everything like nutritionally adequate. They were just worried about getting them food and then doing everything else that they had to take care of. So they would have things like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, which is fine, but that's all they would have. Or like, you know, like, like you said, like just a bunch of pizza and like, there would just be like more, more crap items and not high quality items in the clubhouse. So then once, um, and there was a dietitian who worked for the major league team for the Cubs um, for a couple of years before we came on with the affiliates. And she was able to then after she like showed the Cubs, like what a difference it made when they were focusing on adequate nutrition at the major leagues, then she was able to convince them that, okay, the, the affiliates all need dietitians too. And then once we all came on, we completely revamped the program from the ground up, which, you know, that's really important because if you get started learning about nutrition and focusing on fueling your body properly, when you just start in the minor leagues, and by the time you get to the big leagues, you know, you've already been doing it and you're ready to go and you're just that much further ahead than everyone else who hasn't been doing that. Um, so it was a shift, but it wasn't like we were the food police. Like we weren't coming in and saying like, you can't eat this, you can't do that. I mean, when you eat as, a, as an athlete, you want to be able to make sure that you're enjoying the food that you eat, that it tastes good, and that it's also fueling your body to perform the way that you need to perform and then also helping you to recover so you're ready the next day. So that was like a really big thing that I made sure I stressed in the clubhouse was I'm not here to like wave my finger at you. Like if you're going to eat chicken fingers or some pizza, I don't care, but let's figure out how to add some more nutrients to it. So maybe if you're going to have that pizza, let's add a salad or like, let's make sure you're drinking enough water, um, things like that. So it was, um, there was a lot of like back and forth as we were figuring it out, like ordering the foods that they were going to have for like before a batting practice, before the games, after the games, things like that. But we made sure that it was still tasty. And I think that the guys really started to know, notice a difference with how they felt soon into the season. So they weren't like, it wasn't just like plain chicken and rice with like broccoli that was like rubber, you know, it was like actual quality food and they, and they enjoyed it. They felt good. Um, and they would, I would ask them for feedback too, like, Hey, how was that meal? Uh, or especially on the road, you know, when you use like different catering, like how was the food there? Is there something that you might like to see differently? And, um, I think they really appreciated that. I wasn't just like telling them what they had to do. I was trying to like work with them and teach them the why behind it. As a dietitian in general, like when you're 
brought in to work with the team, what are you specifically doing? Like, I know you're kind of saying organizing the catering, but like, what does that all entail? Because I'm sure there's a lot of thankless things that you have to do that nobody even knew that you were actually doing. Yeah. So you mean in what sense, like with a professional team? Yeah. So you get brought on with the Iowa Cubs. You were the sports dietitian. What does that mean? Okay. So there, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it and I do ramble and go all over the place. So let me try to lay it out kind of in a more like succinct manner. Um, so, okay, let's start with preseason. You start working with them in preseason so they actually know who you are. You show up and, and they get comfortable seeing you. So they actually talk to you. Um, you look at, you can take labs like blood labs and then you look at the blood labs and see if, if there's anything that pops up nutritionally that you can help them with just starting off from there, any like tweaks that you could make that, that way. Um, and then, so yeah, you take care of like looking at the catering or with like the major leagues, um, working with their chefs to make sure that they're getting what they need. So like when I started working with the white Sox, their chef would send me an entire homestand uh, menu and I would just look over it and then see if it had everything that they needed and maybe offer some um, suggested swaps that they could make to make it even better for them. Um, and then, you know, I also made sure like working with the chefs that I like told them, like, I also, I know you do what you do and I'm not trying to step on your toes and like tried to explain the why behind um, the suggestions I was making. So they kind of understood why I was saying that and they knew that I respected them and then they respected me and we were able to work together as a team to offer them the, the best food that we could or snacks or fluids, or whatever. Um, also just kind of doing like one-on-one, -on -one, like I guess you could say one-on-one -on -one consults with them, but I never like forced anyone to sit down with me. It was a lot of just like relationship building and just conversations that about like anything that might've turned into something related to nutrition and being able to educate them and then help them with different things based on goals that they had. Um, really focusing on um, things like trying to prevent injuries as much as possible, but also having some protocols for if any types of different injuries occurred, like how we could help them. Um, yeah, basically anything and everything. I just kind of, you just jump in and kind of do. And like, when you're part of a high performance team, you have certain roles, but also you're all kind of like jumping in and like filling in where you are needed, even if it's not necessarily part of your job description, you just like, you know, you're, you're a team player. So you just kind of do it all. Like I've walked in, I've like washed dishes before because we needed something, you know what I mean? Like we just, you just do it. Yeah. I think that's interesting because maybe people would get the perception, especially if it's a new organization and you're going in there that you're going to be the, the person who says, Hey, I saw you eating McDonald's. We're having a one-on-one -on -one consult. And that's not really what it is at all. No, I would never do that. I'd be like, oh, what are you eating? You know, what else did you eat today? Um, and I kind of just go from there. Like, there have been so many high fives given. People, a lot of them would come up to me and just show me what was on their plate. Or like, or I would be walking around because I'd just be there for meals and I'd see what was on their plate. I'd be like, hey, that's a beautiful plate. And I would give them a high five. Or if I was sitting there talking to them and I noticed that, they didn't have enough like maybe they had some meat and like i don't know avocado 
and be like, hey, why don't you try some of this rice over here? It's really good. Or like, try this veggie and things like that. Um, I would also like, especially when I was with the Cubs, I would make a lot of shakes and like tiny little energy balls. And sometimes I would just walk up to them with like a little sample of something like try this. And because they didn't want to, if they had never had it before, they weren't just going to ask for it. So I'd have them try it and they would like it. And then some of those things started becoming their like daily routine, like having, there was a shake that I called the Popeye that you can clearly guess the main ingredient on the spinach. Um, so it was a really easy way to get greens in without having to eat them. And obviously it tasted good, kind of tasted like strawberry lemonade and not like spinach because I would add like frozen fruit and lemons and all that good stuff to it. And just trying to find fun ways for them to get the nutrients that they need without hating it. Yeah. I start every day with a smoothie and it's just like the, the easiest way yeah. to, uh, I'm not typically super hungry in the morning. So I'm like, I know I need to eat. It's good for training and I need to do it, but maybe I don't want to sit there and, you know, have eggs or have toast. So smoothie, yeah. you can always have that. That's, and that's perfect. You gotta, you know, meet people where they're at and help them figure out ways to make things work for them. Because just because someone else might be able to sit down and have, you know, full blown breakfast doesn't mean that that's going to work for you. So how can you get it in to get what you need throughout the day? Mm -hmm. So how did the USA weightlifting uh, job come about? Um, so like I said, I was already kind of like working, like I was already weightlifting myself and working in the weightlifting world. And then I started working for Renaissance periodization. Um, and actually when I was onboarding with Gatorade Sports Science Institute, they, so that's not Gatorade. It's um the research lab that kind of partners with Gatorade overall. And I was onboarding with GSSI and there was a man named Mike Catone who was working for Gatorade, but he was leave. He was about to leave because he was taking a job. He had already worked with USA Weightlifting a long time ago, but he was taking a job again as a high performance director with USA Weightlifting. So just kind of like divine intervention, kind of crossing paths at that time. And we just bonded over weightlifting and nutrition and everything like that. Um, exchange contact info. And then, about a year later, he was building um, a high performance team for USA Weightlifting and called me up and asked me if I was interested. And I said, hell yeah. And the rest is history. That's awesome. And I'm <laughs> sure like as far as so you're working mainly with in the international Team USA athletes, correct? Yes. So it, and it's cool that I have the podcast because I wouldn't necessarily get access to you because I'm like a lower level weightlifter. But at the same time, I think even talking about the, the shift between working with baseball players and basketball players to now you're working with people who have to cut weight, people who might have to gain weight, who have certain competition schedules that's not every day, like a say a baseball player. So it, was it hard to kind of and I'm sure you still are balancing this, but like, is it hard to balance when you have somebody who's cutting weight for a competition versus somebody who just needs to eat a ton of calories and you're just trying to get them to eat as much as possible? No, I think 
I mean, cause that's what I do every day. I just, you know, support people and meet them where they are, help them reach their goals. Um, I like that. It's, you know, everyone is so different anyway, and everyone has their own needs and their own, like I said, their goals. So, um, I think it's, it's cool being able to do that because you help people if, if they want to change their body composition or if they don't know what weight class to be in, you can assess their, that's another thing I do as a dietitian. I can assess their body composition um, and kind of look at like, okay, well, you could helpfully be in this weight class or that weight class and kind of go from there and figure out where they could do the best. Um, so I think it's a nice balance being able to help people um, adequately fuel, even if they are cutting because you're not going to, if you, if you are someone who has to cut to make weight, you're not going to sit that low, especially the, like the lower weight people, they're not going to sit that low all year round. They're going to be close to the weight class, obviously. So they don't have a hard cut, but kind of helping to support them, um, making sure that they're getting enough food when they're not in a cutting phase and then slowly transitioning into that cut where they can still feel good in training. And then be ready to compete. And then the same with anyone who's trying to maintain weight, like they're at a good weight. They just need to make sure that they're eating the right types of foods and the right amount of foods or someone who's trying to build into a new weight class. Um, they all have their own challenges because everyone knows it. It's hard to cut weight, you know, like not eating as much food or just being a little bit more strict when you get closer to competition. But it's also so hard to gain weight, <laughs> you know, like the amount of food you have to intentionally eat to build muscle is not always fun. So I think it's a nice challenge for me to help meet people where they are and like find ways for them to make it work for them, no matter what their goal is. Yeah, you're totally right. I tried to, uh, I thought I was going to go up to 73 and at my last meet, I weighed 68.1. <laughs> so the, I'm just not meant to to put on this weight or I'm like not trying hard enough you know I think that's and I'd love to even dive into some misconceptions because I think so obviously the higher level athletes are going to have access to to more resources as they should because they need that support but I yeah. think I think there's even just a ton of misconception about people who are doing series who maybe are like just scratching the surface on finals or nationals but I mean, everybody says like they want to be down a weight class. You know, I think that's like the most common thing is people like, oh, if I just go down that weight class, then I can qualify for nationals. Or if I just go down that weight class, then my total will be more impressive. Like what are the, the things that you kind of see and work with people on like reshaping that mindset? Yeah, so there actually, I mean, there have been plenty of people, but there's one person that comes to mind and I won't name names. But I remember talking to this person, their coach, and um, our high performance team. And they were sitting, they, they were at a lower weight class. And I remember looking at their body composition scan and talking to them that maybe it would, they would feel better and be a little bit more healthy if they went up a weight class. Once they went up to that higher weight class, they weren't restricting themselves as much and they were able to actually fuel their body with what they needed. And they continually got stronger in that higher weight class. So it's not always, Oh, I need to cut down to this weight class to be, you know, at that level. Like if you are cutting, 
and you're not getting what you need, you're going to start feeling like shit and training. Sorry, can I swear? Yeah, you can I say whatever you want. Okay. Um, going to start feeling like crap in training and you're not going to recover as well. And then when you get to a competition, maybe if you do like a hard cut, like you just like sweat too much and like really restrict, like right before the competition, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to move the weight that you want to be able to move all the time versus like someone who has been giving their body the nutrients that they need, feeling great in training able to sleep feeling great day to day and then they go into competition they've already been hitting higher numbers in training and they didn't have to cut because they are lifting wherever they're at with their body weight and then they hit numbers that they never hit before and I always tell people too unless it's your only way to make an international team why even cut weight there's really no reason you might as well just compete wherever your body is sitting at that time yeah I think it's hard too, because like if you're going to compete at a sport, you're obviously competitive. Like you want to, yeah. you want to do well. You want to hit that next total. So like when things are just you know just within reach, you kind of oh maybe I should drop down a weight class or maybe I should change this. I think it, yeah. it's very easy to do that. And that's not always bad. I mean, it's good to have goals. I think it really just depends on the person, you know. Like, and that's where working with professionals could help you know having a coach and discussing your goals with like your your weightlifting coach or working with a dietitian and getting like a body composition analysis and then having the dietitian look at it and kind of give feedback on that and figuring out like could you helpfully get down to this lower weight class and what would be the logical timeline to get there and you know that's as you're especially if you're newer to a to a sport and you're kind of just like your body composition is changing so much. I feel like it's normal to kind of go up and down until you figure out what weight class is right for you. And some people are in a couple of weight classes throughout the year, you know, depending on how many competitions they do. They're not always in just one. Yeah. I think not enough people do that. Like, I mean, even a local meet, unless you're qualifying for something, like there is absolutely no reason to ever cut weight for a local meet. It's yeah, just... exactly. It just doesn't make sense to me. And like the the people who do that, you don't realize like that takes a hit on your performance for the next competition. So like yeah. if you're doing three or four cuts a year, think about all the amount of time that you could be training at that heavier body weight. Do you think people yeah. though are, are scared to kind of, and I'm sure you can speak to this, speaking with the, the higher level athletes, do you think people are too scared to train above their weight class? I think that's, it depends on each individual. Um, some people realize that they just feel better sitting a little bit heavier. And by heavier, I mean like two, three kilo, depending on, again, depending on the, the person's weight. Um, and maybe, maybe it's just through experience that they have realized that. Um, some people, I think at first, people do get afraid to be any heavier than what they're supposed to weigh in at um because they don't want to have to cut and so it's kind of just like a balance of like learning about what your body needs and where your body naturally sits and that might be something where if you are afraid to go over that weight for your weight class and because you like get way way heavier than that weight class then maybe that's not the right weight class for you maybe just finding where your body wants to sit and training there and seeing how you feel and how your body composition is 
um, and then going into a competition at whatever weight class you fall into, maybe that's a nice way to learn for yourself where you should be and where you could sit. Maybe I should have phrased it differently as like, should you be training above your weight class? Oh, I know. Um, I know all these questions are, it depends on individuals, yeah, but like if we're speaking does. generally, do you think like, is there benefits to say, you know, you're a 71 kilo lifter? Is there benefits at training at 72, 73, maybe even 74? I think again, it just depends on the person, you know, like where are you sitting? Because I know people who, you know, they're an 89 lifter and they sit at 89, 90, you know, like that's very close to your weight class, but they feel good there. That's where they naturally sit. And they don't really have to worry about making weight because that's just where they are, but they're still eating enough. That's just where they sit. So they're lucky enough where, you know, they don't have to worry about really cutting weight. Um, but then there's people who, you know, they start to actually eat the foods that they need and they're noticing that they're a little bit above their weight class. Um, and, and that's, we talk about that and we figure out that that's okay too, because then when they start to actually focus on a competition that's coming up and making weight, it's not difficult for them to get down to that weight. Um, and then there's people who are trying to just um, get stronger and grow into a weight class. So they might be significantly under whatever the weight is, but they're at least above the weight class below that where I mean, honestly, they have like the easiest time because they get to just eat and feel good and train and do like beat whatever they did the last time and continue to grow into that weight class. So, yeah, it's always going to it's annoying, but it's always going to be uh, it depends on the on the person with questions like that. I guess it's just more like it's important to feel good. And yeah. I'm sure mindset definitely plays a factor into that. Like if you're c constantly cutting all the time, that's in the back of your mind. Like I, I have to restrict food. I have to can't eat this because I got this competition coming up. Like it probably plays a factor into your training and competing to where, hey, I'm two weeks out, but I can eat a piece of cake and I can go out with my friends and I can do things that I wouldn't necessarily be able to do. Yeah, so I think it's all about finding balance in life um, and having a good relationship with your body and with food, feeling good in training and just what your goals are. Like if you are, if you're a professional athlete and this is your job, then you're going to have different goals and different things that you're going to have to do versus someone who loves to compete in a sport, but that's not their full-time job. Like they're not going to have to worry. They shouldn't have to worry too much about cutting and restricting to make a weight class when they're doing this for fun anyway, because then it starts to not be fun. And on the other hand, there are people who like to just challenge themselves and like know that they can do it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with challenging yourself and like seeing how you feel by going up or down a weight class, but then just always make sure that you learn from that and figure out if, you know, how did I feel? How did that go? Did I actually, um, compete to the level that I wanted to compete at. And if yes or no, then you kind of know, um, to make a, you know, keep going with that game plan for the next competition or maybe change your goals. Yeah. I think it just as weightlifters, we're all kind of crazy to be able to do this sport. Yeah. But, uh, I think there's just a lot out there to where people 
are like so focused on like, I got to be this way. I got to hit this total. And you're right. It like takes the fun out of it. I think a lot of people would benefit from just kind of hanging back and like you're competing, you're paying for it. You're flying there. You got to pay for your Airbnb. Nobody's doing that for you. Like enjoy it. Enjoy it. Don't put that added stress on yourself of now you can't drink water for three days out because, you know, (laughs) (laughs) all this. And like in the you started it doing it for fun. People forget that. Exactly. Like always remember your why. Why are you doing this? Why are you going and training each week? Like what is your goal with this? And if you're not having fun, then why are you doing it? There's really why, you know what I mean? Like there are so many other things that you could be doing and you just need to remember your why and focus on that. And I have really noticed that the people who go into competitions and they just have fun with it, they do so much better because they're not putting as much pressure on themselves. And a lot of that goes into, yeah, like you said before, their mentality, sports psychology, and that's a whole other realm, you know, working with a sports psychologist, um, I think is very beneficial for everyone. There used to be, and I think it's switching to where people are realizing that more too, which I think is really amazing because there used to be that idea that if you talk to a psychologist, you know, there's something wrong with you. But now people are realizing that that's not the case at all. And really it helps with mindset and preparation and just feeling good and remembering your why and having fun. Yeah, it's just another tool in the toolbox. It's just like having a nutritionist, you don't necessarily you could do all this on your own. Like you could spend the the hours researching and finding like reading your own scans, or you can have somebody who takes that stress off you of actually just, you know, here's my body scan. What weight class should I be? What should I eat? And I'm sure it's not, you're not doing everything for people, but, but taking some of that stress off. Yeah. Giving them the tools um, to learn and, you know, continue to like live a healthy lifestyle whether they're working with me or not. Um, But yeah, like you said, like a lot of people, um, they like, even though they might have a background in something, they like the idea of not having to figure everything out for themselves, like being able to rely on other professionals in those fields to help support them in those different areas. Yeah, I think you can almost take that too far. I feel like a lot of people think, you know, oh, if if people just told me what, what to do, then I would do it. And that's not necessarily the case. Like working with you, you're going to have to work hard on your diet too. It's like you can only, you know, like you said, you can give people the tools, but whether they choose to follow them or not. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, take take what people provide you, the education, the tools, and learn for yourself and be able to apply it into your daily life, but also know that you have that support from, you know, your dietitian or your coach or whoever it is to answer questions for you or explain things. If, if, if you're doing something and you're like, why am I doing this? Ask because everyone will always be more than happy to explain the why behind it. For you, have you found the more that you study and the more you do research that like you're constantly going back to the basics. I know you put out a post uh, today or the other day, like just talking about drinking water, drink, adding yeah. some electrolytes. And it's like, that's su- such a simple tool, but it's something that some people don't know. Like, do you find that you're constantly just relying on the basics for most people? Um, I think, well, 
when it comes to anyone, I think you have to get the the base knowledge, the basics down as your foundation before doing anything else. Because you can't like, you know, people ask about like, what supplement should I take all the time? You can't out supplement a bad diet. You need to make sure that you're getting the right types of foods or the best types of foods that you can um, throughout the day and filling in those needs through that. And then a supplement is a supplement. So whatever you're not able to get through your diet alone, then that's when you can add in supplements. So I think it's a mixture of all of it, you know, make sure that you have the base knowledge. And then once you are feeling good, feeling confident with that, then you can start to make tweaks and fine tune or dive deeper into different things with nutrition training, whatever it is. Yeah. My girlfriend uh, does nutrition as well. And a lot of times her clients have gotten caught up with like they want to know step eight nine and ten and hey we're at step one like we got to drink more than 20 ounces of water a day let's do that (laughs) first and it it sounds silly that like you need somebody to tell you that but I think there are people who need that like constant push that hey we need to drink extra water bottle we need to drink you know constantly get that up and then we'll worry about step two three four and like and then we can talk about nutrient timing and all that stuff and eating around your workouts but until you're doing that it doesn't matter exactly small changes make big differences laying that groundwork is going to help you build on that and continue to get better i mean and that even that goes into people asking about you know different fads like diets and things like that like Let's just focus on what your body actually needs and focus less on the next crazy best thing that's out there on the internet that won't just go away. <laughs> yeah. There I mean there's so many of them out there too. The the one I'm seeing a lot is the carnivore. And I was actually talking about this at, at coffee this morning. Like, is there do you think anybody can do that and like be a high performance athlete? Like just only meet No, because your body, especially for moderate to high intensity activity, like any sport, really, your body needs carbohydrates for fuel for that. So, you know, anyone can go a certain amount of time eating a specific diet and be okay, but eventually you're going to hit that wall and you're going to realize that you're not getting the energy that you need, that you're feeling like crap in training, or you're just not feeling recovered, or you're just feeling tired all the time. And that's because you're not getting a balanced diet. Like I always warn people, if if something is telling you to restrict an entire food group and or completely eliminate it, that's a big red flag. And maybe you should consider not doing that, especially if you are a competitive athlete. Yeah. I think a lot of times, like being a competitive competitive athlete, you have to do things that aren't necessarily fun or aren't necessarily things that you want to do. Like they yeah. take weightlifting, for example. Nobody want. I mean, not nobody, but like, do you want to do your accessory work after already doing your main lifts? No, but like, is it going to help you? Yes. Should you do that? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I think it always comes back to remembering your why. What is your main goal here? And all those little things that seem tedious or that you don't want to do, they all add up together to help you reach those bigger goals. Yeah, for sure. It's a shame that like all these things are so easy and so cliche, but like the more people who I talk to, it's like those are how you become successful in anything. Yeah. 
eat your greens, do your squats. Don't be afraid of carbohydrates. Stay hydrated. Sleep. Okay, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. I, <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about like the international trips because you you made a really cool reel about how you actually pack for them and like going through customs. So I would love to just hear what that process is like. Say you have a big team, and I know uh, Worlds was just recently. So what's that process look like? Uh, packing everything and, and getting your athletes fueled properly. Yeah. So going to international competitions. You never actually know what the food's gonna be like. So you, it, you'd rather be overprepared than underprepared. So I always order, as you saw in that reel, a lot of food um, and pack it all in a very, very heavy bag. That's why I don't know um, if you've ever seen it, but before competitions, after I pack the bag, the day before I fly out, I post a little like, how much does this weigh? Because it's always like fun to see what people guess. And it's always a different weight, but it's always, it's always very heavy, um, but I always make sure there's things that, um, if you know, like different types of proteins. So like tuna packets, chicken packets, um, jerky, uh, protein bars, granola bars, um, quick acting carbs. So like um, gummy bears are a big hit. Um, electrolytes, things to help people spit to make weight. So like sour or like fruity flavored, um, like Mentos or things like that gum. Um, and then also different tools to use to like warm up your food, um, oats. Basically I'm, I'm sure I'm missing things, but basically I try to make sure I cover all the food groups, um, and make sure there's things to support hydration and ways to actually have those foods. So like if I, if I bring oats, you need to make sure you have a tea kettle so you can actually warm those oats. Um, there are ways to have oats where it's not warm, but people enjoy it more when there's, you know, when it's warm. Um, so I think some of those things too are just kind of like, as we've gone, we've kind of like realized things that we need to pack and things that we don't. Um, and so that's just like a big bag of food that, that I pack. And then it'll depend too on um, which country we're going to, which airline we're using, if there's any restrictions, because I've been able to pack and check a 50 kilo bag before to make it to a, an, another country. But then there's other airlines where, and of course 50 kilo is like way overweight, but they still allowed it. I just had to pay a hefty fee for it. Um, but other airlines, they won't allow it. So then you got to make sure that you're splitting it up into different bags. So kind of knowing those things ahead of time too. So like before I went to Saudi Arabia for Worlds, we knew that going into Saudi Arabia, we couldn't have bags over a certain weight. So then I was able to plan with other people on the high performance staff to send things to them, to have them pack in a bag too. So we could still get everything over there without running into any issues. So, and then like, say you... So you land, uh, training, all that stuff. Are you giving athletes like, okay, this is, you should eat this right after training, eat this in the middle, or it's kind of just grab and go and like you trust the athletes to to know what they should be doing? Well, you definitely trust the athletes. Um, I mean, they're, they're professionals, but also there to help them and guide them too. So it depends on each person and what we've worked on before going there or just kind of like experience with them in other competitions and like just offering guidance there. So like having everything available and being there to talk to them about the different things that we have, the different things that they could have, and then 
sometimes I'll tell them like, Hey, why don't you try that having this, this, and this before, during, after whatever it is, especially if they're, you know, making sure that they're trying to get into a specific weight class or sometimes they know exactly what they want and they come and say, Hey, Megan, do you have this, this, and this? I'm like, yep. Come to my store. I like joke around because whenever we go there, the closet in my room never has my clothes in it. It just, it looks like a store just full of all the food that was packed and brought there. So they all just come and either get what they were asking for or kind of just ask like, what should they have? And that's also a nice time to kind of like check in with them and see how things are going and offer my support and services to them through any way that I can. That's interesting. And one of the things that you see, um, obviously, it's kind of funny, like at, you refer to them as professionals. And I think like we we see these athletes on Instagram, but we don't necessarily think like this is their job, but it is like that's what they they are doing for a job. They're getting paid and they are professionals. But like the the weigh ins, you see the higher levels, you're seeing people who their weight class, they're weighing exactly 49 kilos, 55 kilos, like mm -hmm. it's 49.00. Like how much uh, of a factor are you playing into, into that? Like regulating everything so you can be as close to that as possible. Yeah. So I work, I mean, I work closely with them and try to make sure they have everything that they need. Um, checking in, we do bring a scale with us to international competitions and we do have weight checks every morning. So everyone kind of knows where they're sitting and I can help them as needed. Um, ideally weighing it exactly at weight. If you are cutting, I mean, why, who wants to cut more than they have to? Yeah. So if you can weigh exactly that, then amazing. But if you weigh a little bit under that, it's not the end of the world. As long as you're still making sure that you are getting things to rehydrate and refuel your body. So then you are ready to go for that competition, depending on where you are in the weigh in an hour, an hour and a half later. I know you can't give like specific guidance, but it, just in general, I think it'd be helpful for people like what to eat before and after weigh-ins. Cause I think it's kind of like this mystery, like you, you have two hours, so it's not necessarily an, and obviously the two hours is from the start of the competition. So uh, the way the weigh-ins work, you might not actually get that full two hours. So sometimes it yeah. might be an hour and a half. But it's really not enough time. You can't eat a Chipotle burrito. You can. I'm sure some people probably do um, it. But you don't want to eat something too heavy. But you also, you know, you don't want to go into a competition feeling hungry. So it, do you have guidance as to, like, what you should have specifically maybe before weigh-ins or after weigh-ins as well? Yeah. So it also depends on where the person is sitting, you know, for their weight um, and the time of day that they're weighing in because, you know, it's easier if someone has like a weigh in first thing in the morning, then they can kind of wake up and go weigh in and then they can, you know, hydrate and eat food after that. Like, I don't know, pancakes and some like chicken sausage or something like that. And then maybe have like a bar for later. But if you're someone who is weighing in at seven at night, you don't want to go all day without eating. So depending on where your weight is kind of working with them, like some people have full meals all throughout the day and they make weight. Some people are close to their weight so they can have some food. And, you know, like I would never tell someone not to eat anything all day. So we make sure that we get them to a spot where they can wake up and they're not going an entire day without eating and then weighing in at 7 PM. Um, but like, 
for for most people what we do and it, you never want to do something that you haven't done in training so don't like uh completely like try a new food that you don't know how you're going to respond to because you don't know if you can tolerate it and you might you know feel disgusting or nauseated if you haven't had that before so for most people after you weigh in you want to make sure that you have some sort you want to have fluids and usually some sort of electrolyte to help you like actually hydrate yourself even if you weren't cutting weight it still doesn't hurt to make sure you have electrolytes in your fluids just to make sure that you're fully hydrated because the electrolytes help you to actually like utilize and absorb the fluids in your body um, and you also want to make sure that you have some sort of carbohydrate in your body to give you the energy that you need for the competition. So some people like having chicken and rice after they weigh in with, with their electrolytes. Some people like making like a little soup um, with like broth and again, like maybe chicken and rice or something. Other people don't like eating that much food right before they compete because they don't usually do that before training. So they might have some snacks or some oats or things like that, or just some bars. Um, so it really depends on like who the person is and what they're used to, but really trying to make sure you have energy and fluids. Okay. I think that's good for people. Like even if you are weighing in at night, don't go all day without eating, have some sort of electrolyte with your water after weighing in and some sort of carb. And you're going to be yeah. in a good spot if you're following that. Yeah, exactly. And try to have those things. So like have some electrolyte with, with your water in during a heavy training session. That's going to be kind of like similar to how you might feel come competition day and just see how your body reacts to it. Because if you, if you've never had, say you've never, someone's going to eat some applesauce in between snatch and clean and jerk. If they've never had that before in training and then they just try it in competition, they might be fine because they like that energy from it. Or they might be like, oh, my God, I feel bloated. Putting this belt on is terrible. I am I shouldn't have done this. So, like, mm -hmm. just trial and error in training will make it that much simpler on competition day. There's already surprises no matter what competition you're in, because you kind of always have to kind of go with the flow. Like if you can control the controllables, it's just going to make it that much easier for you. Yeah. I've kind of, I've enjoyed having like sipping on element, usually between snatch and clean and jerk. I haven't, yeah. haven't really done it after weigh-ins, but I'd be interested maybe, maybe trying that at least it, I'll try it in training first before, you know, yeah. have it an hour and a half before training and see how I feel. But yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, it's just so frustrating. Like all these topics, they're just you, you trial and error. It's like going back to the basics and, and really learning what works for you. There, There's no one answer that you can give. Yeah. And okay. And say someone, you know, they don't want to have an electrolyte packet in their water. You could have some salty food. Like you could have pretzels or some or crackers or something else. Like it doesn't have to, it's not just like, everyone has to have a Pedialyte and a cliff bar after they weigh in. It's kind of just like, okay, well, I know that I need something to help me hydrate, but I don't like this. So what else can I try? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think just the more tools you have is obviously going to be helpful. The, this sport you have to, nobody's going to be the best their first meet. Like 
maybe yeah. you're probably not going to be the best after your first 10 meets. So like really experiment, learn. I think that's, that's really helpful for people. Yeah. And also you change as an individual too. So sometimes things that used to work for you in the past, whether it's, you know, things that you ate, um, the amount of food that you ate, a weight class that you were in, that might change too, as you grow and evolve. So always, um, checking back in with yourself and making sure that you're in tune with your body and what your body needs is also very helpful. Awesome. Well, I, I want to wrap up. I want to be respectful of your time. I just uh, want to ask where can people follow you if they have any nutrition uh, questions or maybe they can't work with you directly through USA Weightlifting or, but how do they actually go about doing that? Um, you can follow me on Instagram at plate to platform. And yeah, even if uh, you aren't a USA weightlifting international athlete, I do work with other athletes um, and active individuals. So you could always message me um, on Instagram or email me and we could figure out your goals and if we'd be a good fit working together one-on-one. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'll get that linked up in the show notes. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much.